What is something that you are very afraid of? I want you to take a moment and I want you to think about something that you fear. We don't all fear the same thing. Some of us might say we don't fear much. Some of us may unwillingly admit that we're quite fearful. But I want you to envision that for just a moment. I need you to close your eyes if you need to, to envision something that genuinely frightens you. Do you have that picture? Because some of you may be thinking of some dark, kind of misty, wooded environment where you've seen in the movies that really creeps you out. But if you're like me, the woods is a welcome place, day or night, and alive with the sounds of nature, and it it doesn't bother me. I know it doesn't bother some. Some have absolutely no business in the woods after dark. Maybe you think about a creepy old abandoned hospital. I was injured one time and had to spend the night in a hospital. It was five stories tall. There were three people in the entire hospital. That was one of them. You know how they say you don't sleep well in a hospital because of all the noise? Well, I did not sleep well, but it wasn't because of the noise. But you know, there are things that we experience that are very unsettling. We've experienced things in our lives that we would rather not have to share or go through again. But what's very interesting to me is that when you think about the things that scare you, you think about the things that you're frightened about. This section of song that we're discussing is where doubts arise and fears may dwell, though some may dwell where these abound. Some people have this habit, unfortunately, of staying in this place they have no business being. It's interesting to me that that God has built into us the ability to flee those places that frighten us, to run if we can or if we must. So we might call it that fight-or-flight mechanism, but we know that when we're in an uncomfortable place, We want to get out of there as quickly as we can. We we might see a pepper in our stepper, we might say. We're really moving to get out of that space. I saw something the other day that, that made me laugh. It said, when I die, don't look up to the sky for me. I'll be the one chasing you up the stairs after you turn out the lights at night. Because notice, even as a child, maybe when you were a little afraid of the dark, I had to walk down over this hill, and we burnt our trash. We lived out in the country. I know that's not really acceptable anymore, but that's what we did. And I remember walking down and doing that, no problem. But when you did it at dusk, and we had to watch the fire for just a little while to make sure everything was safe, and I would turn back up and look at the house, and it was after dark. And that porch light might as well have been two miles up that hill. And though it was uphill, I promise you I had no problem pedaling right up there as quick as I could. Because it just brings your imagination, we might say, to life. And sometimes we fear things in ways that we should not. And when you think about, we have that natural disposition to flee those things from a physical, dangerous perspective. But all the dangers and the perils that await when we see those things emotionally. 
when we see those things spiritually and we don't get away from them. I was a young man and, and very impressionable at the time and, and what, willing to learn about anything I could. And above a doorway was written a phrase, fear causes hesitation. Hesitation causes your worst fears to come true. And so I want to talk with you a little bit tonight about a practical kind of relationship that we can look at and how to work through these issues because it reminds me of Genesis chapter 4 and verse 17 where Cain's offering to God was not really accepted. And God said, if, if you would have done well, would you have not been accepted? But if you don't do well, behold, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is contrary to you. But you must rule over it. Sin and many other harms are just around the corner waiting to ambush those that live contrary to God's will. So many of those doubts and fears become realized when we are not willing to follow after the pattern that's been set before us. So my section tonight, though some may dwell where these abound in, Boy, what a challenge. I've always said, boy, give me a topic. I'll, I'll, I'll eat it up. You know, sometimes it's hard to come up with something you want to address a group with. But what I realized is there are so many options that you could pick to take this in, in a variety of directions. I thought about all the traps and the snares that the devil creates in ways to, to kind of create doubt and, and fear in our lives. I, I thought about this idea of how Satan baits us and, and tempts us into ways we may not even realize. But you had a thought about maybe the mental health issues from chronic anxiety and, and depression. I thought about all the, the self-harm that comes from feeling lost and disconnected. And awareness also when you read this that, that even though you may make that proclamation that I'm not going to be here, that maybe some of the people that you love the most are stuck there. Maybe we look at it as the affirmation that I am not going to live where these things abound. I am not going to dwell there. Or maybe we could look at a lot of different kind of character studies and go through the different examples that we could find in the Scriptures about people that either dwelt in these places we shouldn't be or people that championed it. So maybe it's a combination of things tonight. But most importantly, I want you to understand, I'm talking to you. I've driven about three and a half hours here. It's an easy trip. But my desire is to talk to you as an individual. And I want you to own how you've handled whether or not you've been dwelling or doubts and fears are lingering. We, after all, have to come to the grip of understanding the power of that pull of wantonness. We have to embrace the, the poison that creeps up in our hearts and our minds when we, we cannot shake the feeling of inadequacy. And there are so many things in this life, even in our song, where Satan is hurling darts at us while we're trying to live righteously. Let's talk as friends. 
Let's talk as brothers and sisters, trying to lift each other up out of that miry clay. And so with that, the first thing that comes to mind is, is Paul and his idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you'd, you'd like to start and look there, and just by way of a personal note, thank you for the invitation to be here tonight. Grateful for the, the eldership and the servants that you have in this congregation. So thankful for the relationship that God has blessed me with and my family with, with the Hardens. So glad to be here with you tonight. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 7, it says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, Paul says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I doubt that verse is very foreign to us. We, we've read this, I'm sure, before. But remember how we talked about that pang or that ache in our heart when we feel like we have failed. When we feel that despite our best efforts, we still don't quite measure up. Is that the time then? that we remember that God's grace is sufficient for us? Have we taken time to really genuinely pray over and meditate on what that statement is really telling us? That despite my best efforts, I'm likely never going to be the person I would hope to be. But if I'm striving for that in that way, I'm not leaving any room for God's grace. When we have failed to measure up, how is it that we view ourselves? Do we bow our head and consider what a failure we've been? Or do we take a deep breath? Take a step back from the situation. And remember that God's strength is perfected. God's strength is made whole when I am weak. If I've got it all figured out and everything's going great and I'm flying high with no problem, someone sees Jamie walking by and say, man, I wonder how he's got all that figured out. He seems to be just floating along. So who are people looking at? Not God. But when I am frustrated, when I am angry at myself, when I have fallen short, when I have not been able to deliver something I have committed to do, do I still press on? Do I still move forward and do I still live faithfully? So that when people say, why is it that he keeps trying? What is it in her that makes her stay so focused when her whole life is crumbling around her? She's got to have something more. 
And indeed, brothers and sisters, we do. But are we willing to embrace that mindset? That is a critical shift in our thinking most times. So how is it that you perceive your doubts and your fears? It's very interesting that this series is structured around this song, Higher Ground. Because if it weren't for this, I would have no idea who Johnson Oatman Jr. was. Insignificant. But he's the writer of an incredibly powerful song. He's the author of the song that you've been singing faithfully every Wednesday evening and will continue for some time. Born in 1856, April 21st in New Jersey. He's written over 3,000 hymns. You would recognize higher ground, I would hope by now. Count your blessings is another one that he has written. No, not one is another. And so I wanted to give you just a little glimpse. I did a little bit of research. I wanted to find out who this guy was because I love the song Higher Ground. And it's this little excerpt that I found that it was just so pointed, and I, I wanted to share this. He's recorded as saying, Let others sing of rights or wrongs. Sing anything that pleases. But while they're singing other songs, I'll sing a song for Jesus. As evidenced by his songwriting, we know where his thinking was. We see where his attention is. What about us? We may not have the opportunity likely ever to pen a single hymn, let alone 3,000 hymns. But does our life, does our pursuits reflect our willingness to live for Jesus, our willingness to sing for Jesus? Are our sights fixed on eternity? Do people see that, that God and, and heaven is a source of our joy and our peace? That you want to share the gospel to the world. Because indeed I can't even begin to imagine the reach that just these three hymns have had. But yet that's the power of the perspective of the mind. His desire to dwell on good things. And look at what can come from that. And so as we think about this mindfulness, as we think about this idea of dwelling on good things. We know the text of the song, and, and it's more about dwelling in, in those worst places where doubts and fears are. And so, for the sake of some characters that immediately come to mind, of people that we might try to think of, well, who is it that we found that were dwelling in these bad places? You know, I, I started out making this list, and then it dawned on me. These people that I listed here, and there are, of course, many others, Adam and Eve and Moses and Elijah and Gideon, Jonah, Peter, the, the list could go on. But you know what I realized? The more that I read and the more that I considered and the more that I prayed about this, these people didn't dwell there. They, they hid for a little bit. But when we read the summary of their story, they were not dwelling there. And, and we might recognize that people hide for a variety of reasons. Sometimes we hide out of self-preservation. There is a real threat. There is a real danger. And we are trying to hide for the preservation of our life. Maybe it's out of fear of discipline. When I think about Adam and Eve hiding in the garden. Wow. 
You know, I've disobeyed my, my father at times and really was nervous when he got home from work. I cannot imagine what the feeling must have felt like when Adam and Eve were hiding behind bushes. Really? At least they says they hid in the garden. But yet we know that's probably familiar to some of us, maybe more some than others. But sometimes we hide because of our fear. Sometimes we hide because of our weakness. Sometimes we hide because of our cowardice. Sometimes we hide of fabricated fears and, and unjustness and things quite illegitimate. And so I got to thinking, what is it that could enable us, even if something is frightening us, even if it's something that we are fearful of, what is something practical that we can do about that? And so I, I want to share an idea, a thought, that if you find yourself dealing or hiding, and you know, it's not hiding under your bed when you see something coming or someone coming. It's not, it's not shirking. Uh, it's not a physical visibility sometimes. Maybe you just didn't speak up at work when you should have. Maybe a family member came over and was a little too inconsiderate with the home you're trying to keep. Maybe the opportunity to shine the light of the gospel in a pointed moment that was right at the tip of your fingers. And you kept quiet. Why do we do that sometimes? And so I, I tell people that managing this really is a form of, of art. And I'm a big fan of acronyms, so you'll have to bear with me. So I want you to understand when you're feeling this way, when you feel like you're desperate to hide because of your fears or your doubts, assess the threat. Look straight in the eye, proverbially, if you will, at what really is happening. Is this something that you've conjured up? Is this something that you're worried about, that you're letting anxiety take over? How many times in my life alone have I sat back and assessed all the things that could happen, all the things that could go wrong, and then the times I wasn't afforded that opportunity, but thrust into the situation, handle it as best you can, and then it's over. On to the next challenge. Sometimes we, we are guilty of paralysis by analysis. Create those fears, but assess what the genuine threat is. Review your assets. It's for the R. What does that look like? Well, for the Christian, we've got an awfully big asset package. We've got an awfully big arsenal at our disposal. We've got the wisdom of the Holy Scriptures. We've got the life lived of the Son of God. And we have the promises of God Almighty. So when we're struggling in this moment, remember the things that have been provided you. And I might contend that in this process, you realize what the real threat is, you take stock of what it is that you have, and then you act. Because the problem with fear and doubt is it oftentimes causes inaction. Remember that little phrase, fear causes what? Fear causes hesitation. And that moment that's most critical and then that hesitation sometimes causes our worst fears to come true. This taking immediate action also kind of implements, in a way, your fight or flight mechanism. Puts you into action in a way that is trusting and relying upon the promises of God and, and the, the behavior and the examples that the Lord has set forth and then we realize that the problem is soon overcome. So let's look at this from a 
Christian lens, if you will. Sometimes the doubts in our life start as a small voice. Sometimes it's a nagging whisper, trying to find the courage to do that which we know we must do. And oftentimes when the voice is small, we can kind of drown it out occasionally, get distracted with other things, and it's kept at bay. But what do we do when the devil turns up the volume? What do we do when it seems like when we wake up and when we go by our way in the day and when we are finished with our day and when we're trying to relax at night and even when right before we drift off to sleep, we're nagged constantly in our mind about the fears and the doubts the devil is trying to plant. We really like Nehemiah. We've talked about him quite a bit. I'm going to use him as an example tonight, and if you haven't read the excerpt that was shared by Jason on Nehemiah chapter 1, I think it was this morning, you need to read that. It's profound perspective. But this is what I want you to think about the next time you hear the whispering, the next time you hear the voice that says, you can't do this, or the voice that says, just wait for a better time. When the devil is trying to pull you down from something, I want you to remember what Nehemiah said when Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem were trying to pull him away from his most important work at the time. He says, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and come down to you? I want you to have that conversation with your battle. I want you to have that conversation with the devil. I'm doing an important work right now. I don't have time for you, Satan. I know who I'm serving. You may have forgotten, but I know. Unequivocally, I know whom I'm serving, and I will not stop my good work to play in the trenches of doubt and fear. And I would contend to you that when you're serving in the kingdom and you're doing good things for the kingdom, he will get very, very loud. Those shouts and cries and distractions and inadequacies and the poison that creeps into your mind from those doubts, sometimes gets overwhelming. But I want you to remember Nehemiah's reply in 6 and 3. 1 Corinthians 15 and 58, of course, come to mind as well. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. How many times would our nervous energy be better spent if we were just busy doing good? instead of worrying about how successful we would be. But this is, again, as we've talked about so far, a mental shift that we must commit to. And, and that's an easy concept. If we've read through the book of Romans, Romans 12 and 2 encourages us not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so when it is that we are striving for this change of mindset, I want you to look at that list above you. The idea of don't let the devil tempt you into thinking that you are weak. Do not let him isolate you and make you feel alone. Do not get overwhelmed by your circumstances, but know where your strength comes from. Do not feel defeated. Now that's very easy to just stand up here in a one-way conversation and just tell you to do those things. 
Jamie, you have no idea the scars I carry. You have no idea the haunts that keep me up at night. I don't. I don't. But here's what I do know. And here's what I want you to remember. And I want you to write it down, take notes, highlight. I don't care what you do. But I want you to think about things like Psalm 118. Write it down on the inside of your Bible. Psalms 118. Turn there if you will. I want to read for you three different sections of verses tonight. And I want you to commit these. I want you to write them down. I want you to take notes so the next time you're feeling doubtful and fearful. I want you to remember the challenge that we're putting forth to you tonight. And I want you to trust in what is said. Psalms 118 starting in verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph to those who hate me. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. So star that in your Bible right there. And ask yourself, do you believe what you're reading? Have you committed your heart and your mind to trusting in the commitment and the promises that we find in Psalm 118? What about Hebrews chapter 13? Maybe a little more familiar territory for us. But I want to give you a little bit larger section of the text so that we can understand there's all kinds of wisdom wrapped around some of the verses we might pluck out as individual verses occasionally. Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 4. We don't have time to unpack all of this tonight, but verse 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Amen? Part of the problems we're struggling with is because we have not kept purity in our marriages. So many strengths and comforts come from the union of man and woman by God's design. But we continue. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you need to hear that tonight? Are you being tempted with that next draw of of money somehow? Is it a new job? Is it a promotion at work? Is it something that the carrot is dangling on the stick for you? And you're struggling with realizing, is, is this the next step for me financially? Or is it going to pull me away from my family at church? Is it going to pull me away from the brothers and sisters at Charlestown Road who I depend on so greatly for my strength day to day? If you need to hear that tonight, hear it. But we continue in verse 6, so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Are you willing? Are you willing to put your trust and confidence? Can you boldly proclaim these things? Think on these things. Write these verses down. Circle them in your scriptures so that when you're feeling doubtful, you can be encouraged by the Hebrew writer. One more in this section. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 has an incredible encouragement here, starting in verse 35. Verse 35 says this, starting in Romans chapter 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Sometimes that's our greatest fear, isn't it? Is being alone. Being separated from the ones that we love the most. But it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor, any, nor anything else in all creation we able, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you say that with boldness? Can you say that with confidence? I say all the time when we read the scriptures, brothers and sisters, this is just an easy litmus test. If you picked up the newspaper, if, if they still print them, if you picked up the newspaper and you read that Dairy Queen down the street burnt down, when you drove past Dairy Queen, you'd expect to see it burnt down. Do you read the scriptures with the same trust and faith that when it says what it says, it means what it means and you'll have what it says you'll have. It's a challenge for all of us. But I promise you, when we genuinely trust in these things, when we genuinely look at the promises of strength and of comfort in the times of our greatest distrust and worry and doubt and the fears that are creeping in, then we can indeed make the same proclamations that we find in Romans 8. I'm not worried anymore. I know where my faith and my trust and my love is. And I know that he can deliver me no matter what comes my way in this life. I have no desire. I have no, no even willingness to put any energy in these doubts and fears because it is just one of so many of the traps that Satan sets to keep good and honest and hardworking Christian brothers and sisters from doing that which they know is good to do. You know, an easy illustration about doubt and fear is it's a lot like anxiety and worry. You know, doubt and, and fear and sadness those are things that God has given us as emotions, and, and they're not wrong in themselves. We, we see those. We experience those. I've, I've prayed often so many times, God, why do we have the emotions that we have? Because my emotions sometimes seem like they betray me. I don't want to embrace the weakness that seems like it comes through being in touch with that emotional component in a difficult time. But what do we talk about God's answer to Paul? It's in your weakness that I am made strong. And so I use this illustration. I could find the strongest dude in the audience and I could ask him to hold that bottle of water up and he would have no problem to hold that bottle of water up. He could sit there, wouldn't break a sweat. But you know what? I would contend that if we made him take that bottle and just hold it at arm's length for the entire service, he'd at least be like this. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, it's not about whether or not we can hold on to the burden for a minute. Don't want to hold on to it for too long. We can bear up under hardship. We can bear up under trials. But God never designed us to hold on to these things that we can manage in the short term for too long. They dry up the bones. They shrivel up the spirit. They drain us of our zeal. Let us be better than that. 
So I have one final thought and comment I want to share with you before we break and let the kids come back. But I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalms chapter 26, please. Psalms 26. I want you to pay very close attention. This is King David. It's questionable. I don't know if he's quite king yet. But this is a, a psalm attributed to David. And I want you to read this, and I want you to tell me what it is that, that you see in the text of Psalm 26. And he says this, starting in verse 1, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence, and go round your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud, and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I, have, I love the habitation of your house, and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. Can that be something we could say? Because we've talked all around this idea of a mental shift in our thinking. And there are times where we're certainly our own biggest enemy. Sometimes we talk ourselves out of something before we even get started. No life is without trial. Everyone is not a stranger to hardship. If you know the story of David, you know that he had plenty. Look at the proclamation. Look at the statement of faith. Look at the confidence that this man had in standing on level ground. Maybe not higher ground, but level ground is always better than that slippery slope. Can you say that tonight? Could you be this bold, embracing your doubts and your fears? I would challenge you to do that. The Bible is full of encouragement for you if you're willing to open it and dive into it in the days that seem the darkest and the times you feel the most lonely. For we know that there is no one on this earth that will never leave us or forsake us other than the Lord himself. Lean to him when you're tempted to dwell in your doubts and your fears. Thank you for your time.